This week on Red Dead Radio, we go completely off the rails. You tell him Nick's coming, and hell's coming with him. Welcome to Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. I'm your host, Jared Petty. And as always, we're going straight to the wild, wild guest. We're going straight to the wild, wild guest. We're going straight to the wild, wild guest. Yeah. With. Oh, Nick Scarpino. Hello. Yes. Hello. I'm telling you right now, this podcast needs 100% more of a theme song. You think so? Yeah. Andy. Andy. Calling Andy in from the other room? Andy. All right. All right. When he comes in, we're going to do a theme song. Off the rails. Actually, we do have have a theme song. We have theme music written by... Brian Altano, friend oh, of the show. Oh, okay. Does it sound like this? Red. Dead Redemption podcast. No, no, it does not. No? Okay. No. Well, Andy like would have done that. Right, Andy's not that? here? Andy's not so here? He just walked in and was like, don't call Andy. He's indisposed right now. Is he pooping? Uh, don't right, don't worry about it. Sorry. We're recording semi-live here from the Kind of Funny Studios right now where I work doing my day job. And now it's time for Red Dead Radio, part of the Hop, Blip, and the Jump Network and Nick. As our wild, wild guest, we are thrilled to have you here. Mr. Scarpino. Yes, sir. The producer slash seducer at all, etc. I'd like you to note that before we started this show, by the way, very professional show. I'm thoroughly impressed by your organizational skills. You have a run of show. There are notes. You asked me to move one section to uh, underneath a different section. Uh-huh. That confused me. I just drew a line. Okay. I just drew a line with Look, an arrow. So did I. And then you said, I have to ask you some questions when we get to the on the trail thing. I'm nervous about this section, so I'm going to put a little asterisk start. You know there. what? It's going to be all right, okay. my friend. It's going to be me. okay. Guide me, Obi-Wan. You're I'm, my only hope. I'm going to guide you right into this. Let's start with your history with Red Dead Redemption. I have zero history with Red Dead Redemption. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons I have you here. <laughs> you are our first Red Dead Redemption fresh face. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess your audience is going to love the fact that I have zero context for this. Actually, that's why we brought you here. Because cool. you, Nick, haven't played the game before and simultaneously are very plugged into entertainment and film and games as a part of Kind of Funny. And you really are, I, I think, the, the closest thing I know to a film expert. All right, fantastic. Uh, so we got you in here to talk about that part of your life that e- day in and day out, you comment on film, you've been a part of making films, you know your way around film. And Red Dead is perhaps more than any other video game franchise a cinematically inspired uh, game. Yeah, And so that's why I wanted you here to talk about that, because it's almost impossible not to be tangentially aware of the influence this game has. So you going to play the new one? I would like to play the new one, actually. I think I will. That's interesting. How well, come? I th- well, the Greg and Tim and the rest of the guys affect me in that way, where every once in a while, when a big game, when a big tentpole game like this comes out, uh, did I say tentpole? Tentpole game like this comes out. Everyone gets excited about it, and if I'm always the last person to get a code, if they give us codes, uh-huh. so but if they get one more code, then I will download it and I'll, I'll give it a shot. So they sure. give it to you, you, go out and you play the game. So what's the appeal then? I think I mean the appeal for for one, I mean I enjoyed Grand Theft, the last Grand Theft Auto. I like uh-huh. GTA Five. Um, I it's fun for me. I like the open sandbox world, but the problem is I often lose my attention spans very short with it. And so I I'd like to jump in. I'd like to see if it grabs me. If it does, then it's an awesome experience that I'll look forward to because I very seldom play games. Um, so I always love it. I'm always pleasantly surprised when a game grabs me and I play it for like 20 hours and I feel like that's time well spent. Okay. However, having said that, there's a flip side of that coin, as they said in heat. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to be randomly quote misquoting movies. I'm okay with that. that. The, the flip side is if the game doesn't grab me right off the bat, I'm out. Okay. What, 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 what grabs you about a game like this? What are you looking for? I, I need to be drawn into the narrative immediately. Okay. Immediately. 
And that's why I really liked Grand, the last Grand Theft Auto. Uh-huh. But that's why I also bounced immediately out of the Grand, the Grand Theft Auto. Oh, how, how so? I love, I forget the the main, one of the, there's three characters. There was right. Franklin, Trevor, and I forget the other Michael. guy's name. Michael. Loved Michael's storyline. Okay. Uh, empathized with Michael. The used to be badass who now has a family and he's kind of more of a dad than he is a criminal. And he's kind of just kind of trying to figure out where he sits in the world. Just mirrors his, your whole story. Arc. It's just me in a nutshell. Right. Former mob boss Nick Scarpino. Well, you know, my last name Scarpino. There you go. Uh, not a mob boss, by the way. I think my family largely accountants. Um, but I but I liked that, and I got drawn into that. And I was like, yeah. this is cool. And then, of course, they shift you over to the Franklin character. And I was like, okay. So now I have to get used to this. And then right when I was like falling in love with that character, we, we switch over to the, the psychotic Stephen Ogg, who did a phenomenal job as a mm-hmm. voice actor. And we've had him in the studio a couple times. But um, I, it was just too much for me. I started getting kicked out of that, and I'm like, I want to see how all these characters' storylines are going to intertwine, but then I just also want to steal a really cool car and drive around. And now I'm, and then, then I let a few days go by, and I'm like, where are we at with this? There's too many things to track. There's another side. Oh, I forget it. I'm done. Okay, well, that's fascinating to hear because a lot of the messaging that we've seen about Red Dead Two, um, we're just going to roll right into shootout here because of that, which is our news section. A lot of what we talked about already, and a lot of what we saw in that giant IGN preview blowout Mm -hmm. was this idea that maybe those lines are really going to be smoothed in this game in a way that they haven't been in many open world games before where the distinction between main quest and side quest is something with a guy with an exclamation point over his head and that you know you will obviously you're doing this to get to the next part of the that the narrative is life that it's a living world and that everything kind of like real life is actually connected I i love that I'll see, it'll be interesting to see how they execute that because mm-hmm. one of my biggest pet peeves is when I start feeling like side quests are work mm-hmm. when, when a game that's an open world game like that starts to feel like I have to go to work when I when I when I boot it up when I start playing it um, that's when I stop mm-hmm. uh, to me I don't like I don't like I'm kind of a completionist in that I want to try and do as much as humanly possible in the game. Otherwise, I feel like I'm letting myself down. Like, I'm not getting the full experience out of yeah. it. But then when it starts to be like, hey, I need you to go find my dog. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not doing this yeah. shit. Like, I'll actually get pissed at, at, at side quests sometimes. I just feel, I'm like halfway through or maybe two thirds of the way through Far Cry 5. Um, was it the last Far Cry? Uh, last Far Cry 5 was the last Far Cry. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I'm like, wait, was GTA 5? Yeah, anyway, long story short. And I, and I've got I, I've accumulated so many side quests that I'm like mm-hmm. I just can't go back and find this bear I can't hunt down this cougar like I just can't do these things yeah it just be when it starts feeling like a chore um, that's when I'm out and yet sure. when you played GTA Five you found yourself drawn away toward the kind of immersive emergent activities the stuff that the make your own phone part ended up taking over the game for you which by the way i think is kind of the the point of gta 5 that's right gta 5 ultimately they understand this about it the reason they include a content creator the reason an online mode works so well with it is because while there's a compelling story it is largely about making your own fun and they mm-hmm. know that's what their audience wants i think that's why cheats are always so prominently given so is it the difference for you between that feeling that you're being forced into a side narrative for a reward as opposed to just being able to feel like you're organically doing what you want in the world or does it just what makes it feel like work i do i i feel like the whole i don't know the the, the work aspect of it is i just think that there's god i don't know i lost my train of thought there for a that's second. okay that's all right i, I had it for a moment would you like, say your train of thought derailed it did derail much fact. as a train yeah <laughs> much as a train that hit a sherman's necktie in the old west on, might let, me derail. Little, let me get a little courage juice here real quick that's going to be the name of my. Uh, that's going to be the name of my uh, tavern I open someday. Sherman's juice. No, Sher- Sherman's necktie. Oh, I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think like 
I think for me, obviously, it's subjective. I, you know, a lot of people just love to jump in there. But when the game starts feeling like it's either trying to give me too many uh, just completely useless tasks to do, mm-hmm. I start thinking this is a lot like real life. And then why wouldn't I just go live my real life, right? Like, ah. we're, I know there's a section. I don't know if we're skipping ahead here, but just I know just a go where, right to it. There's a section you had you had on your run of show here where it talks about like they're trying to uh, they're trying to do some things that make it a lot more realistic. And the question mm-hmm. becomes, it's all like, subjective, of course. A lot of people like that. To me, I'm like, what? Where is the line drawn between? realism and fantasy fulfillment of a game okay uh to me i love jumping in and and being put in situations that i normally can't i can't get into a shootout Mm -hmm. right that's not going to happen in my everyday life no it it does you really hope it doesn't i hope i really hope it doesn't but i can uh help a buddy out who's lost his dog i mean i keep using his dog as as, like it's a real yeah what's with you and dogs i don't know uh you know there are there are these these weird are you know completely arbitrary side quests that you get put on that you're like I every every side quest that takes me one more step farther away from the narrative of a, of a game is one more opportunity for me to not want to play that game anymore. Well, again, it's very early on, but the presentation we've gotten has had a lot of emphasis on the idea that those lines, main quest, side quest, or even the idea of approaching them with that nomenclature of here's a main quest versus a side quest, mm-hmm. that that may be blurred, that a lot of the design philosophy that's gone into the game is more about making this not a life simulator in the mundane sense, but a life simulator in the adventure sense, living an exciting life surrounded by people that are likewise living their own lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've talked about the system of the fact that people have routines every day and that's a big part and that they use routines interact, but also that your ability to interact with people is going to be contextual based on what they're doing, what time of day it is, who they've interacted with sure. before. And there's not this binary choice system of, well, this is obviously a trigger to the next event. So I mean, my question for you then is how do you, how, I mean, and maybe this is more of an overall overarching design question is how do you tell a compelling narrative in a world like that where you can go. I mean, this is always one of my biggest beefs with these games is that I get sucked into the narrative mm-hmm. and then I go off on a side quest or a bunch of side quests for a while. Forget where I'm at. The the emotional impact of whatever was happening to me four or five or six hours ago after 20 tries on a side quest or whatever I'm doing is 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 very much lessened. So I'm like, how, how important do you think the narrative in this game is going to be for them? I think the narrative will be extremely important, especially since they've also made it clear they're focusing largely on one main character through who you'll experience the world through. Mm-hmm. And Arthur, there's a ton of side characters that you're intimately connected with. And those will act as the catalysts for a lot of what happens to you. But it is ultimately, I think, going to be Arthur's story, mm-hmm. uh, even though the Duchess gang is, is you know, your, your kind of circle of trust for a lot of what takes place in your life. How do you make that work? I'm going to point to two games that I think provide some insight on that. Okay, go. And these are going to be weird for folks. First is Gone Home. Do you ever play Gone Home? I, I did play Gone Home. Okay, so Gone Home is a walking simulator. Mm-hmm that I don't think gets nearly enough credit for being one of the most brilliantly designed games I've ever played. Here's the thing about Gone Home. Even though it's a walking sim, it is not linear in any way, shape, or form. No, but it's still a contained narrative experience, though. It is, except that the narrative plays out for every player vastly differently. Here's my example. Sure. The house is laid out in such a way that you can interact with all the artifacts in the house in whatever order you choose. And it doesn't particularly drive you to move certain directions. Mm -hmm. I found a secret panel in the house within my first two minutes inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, I located a secret passage that was fairly well hidden because I was curious. Sure. I ended up taking the house from a vastly different direction than what I suspect many players did. Yet, 
the dynamics of the order I encountered these things in were not altered by the game in response to that. The items were still laying where they were laying. The narrative played out for me in such a narratively satisfying way, despite the fact that I took it in a completely different order than somebody else could have, that I was stunned that it was possible the storytelling could make me compelled to that degree. I There was a moment where I literally felt sick mm-hmm. playing Gone Home when something I'd stumbled onto in the first 10 minutes played out two hours later in a different room. Mm-hmm. But that only happened to me and people who went exactly the way I did. Somebody who went a different direction still encountered those two things, but in different order with different things in between. And yet it was still, from speaking to others, emotionally impacting in a different way to them. I think that Red Dead may borrow from that design philosophy, the idea that the components taken in multiple orders all make sense and all add up to something that translates to a metaphor for real life in an engaging and entertaining way. Well, that's the thing for me, right? When you talk about cinema or you talk about just watching a movie versus playing an interactive experience, those are two separate, very, very separate mediums um, that when combined properly can become this amazing experience, Gone Home being one of those where you're like, wow, I do feel like I'm a part of this story. And I think that's when gaming's at its best. When you don't feel like you're watching it, you feel like you're a part of it, you're drawn into it. Um, The issue I always have, though, is that I feel like I'm drawn into it, and then I feel like I'm drawn apart, and then I feel like I'm just sort of like pulled over into the other door, and then it's gone. It's just gone. Now, is the drawn apart a matter of just finding distractions out there that pull you into something you'd rather be doing? I think it's a a couple different things. Um, One... I think there's a level of the ina- the interactivity, um, like the ability to interact with the environment, the ability to do things over again has always been a stumbling block for me. Mm-hmm. The idea that uh, you get an, uh, you know, it's it, I always liken it to being like, you know that amazing scene in Infinity War? Pick whatever amazing scene it is. Okay. What if you had to watch that four times in a row in order to progress to the next scene? Ah. That's always how I view games, right? As far as, as far as just being told a story or experiencing a story. And this is always an issue I've had. This is an issue I had with Uncharted. Um, this is an issue I have with a lot of games like that where... Um, you get to a point where it's this amazing cinematic point or this amazing climax and you fail and then it starts you over again with the music and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to try it again. No, it didn't work. I'm going to try it. You know what? I'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. To me, that's not that, that starts to to dampen the emotional connection I have with anything that's happening. In the well, game. it is a break with reality. It is. It's, it's one a of huge those... break with reality. Mm-hmm. And that's when you talk about cinematics in a game like this, you talk about I mean, even the, the, the image we're seeing back here. I mean, that evokes a specific emotion and I love that. But yeah. if I see that over and over and over and over again, I'm going to start to lose connection to that very, very quickly. Yeah. I feel like Red Dead's cinematic cutscenes, uh, Rockstar cinematic cutscenes are very well done. Their voice acting is excellent. Oh, stunningly. I mean, what I've seen in the, just the trailers, granted, I haven't played the games, but like it, Grand Theft Auto, they're they're amazing. But where I think Red Dead is stronger in a way than Grand Theft Auto, and by the way, I, I do think I, we said this on practically every episode that Red that uh, Red Dead Redemption Two is the sequel to GTA Five as much or more than it is the sequel to Red Dead Redemption. Okay, um, is that the stunning moments? I'm replaying Red Dead One right now. Mm-hmm. The stunning moments tend not to be the scripted ones. The stunning moments tend to be riding across the ridge as the sun comes up or something that happened to me the other night where I'm just in the loneliest place in the universe and a thunderstorm is rolling through Mm -hmm. and there's just no one around and I'm there alone on a black horse in the middle of the night. You can feel the cold wind and there's lightning and I stop to take a look and just as I do off in the distance, I just hear in the rain 
and I'm looking, and there's somebody out there, and I don't know who they are, and there really was a jab of fear. That is not a scripted moment in that game. Yeah. It just happened that the weather, time, and random encounter conditions all coincided. And yeah, yet it moved me more than a lot of cutscenes would. Oh, well, I mean that, but that's the power of the medium, right? Like the cutscene in in games is just a tool, mm-hmm. right? What's uh, it a tool for? Well, it's a tool. It's a tool to move you from from point A to point B for the most part. With you know, in the story, in my opinion, right? Okay. It, and I and I think that commonly when people start talking about cinematics in game, you start using the word cinema in game. I think you're doing the game a disservice because it should be looked at as just another tool in the arsenal of the designer to help make a great, an overall amazing experience for the end user. Mm-hmm. In movies, it's different. In movies, something being cinematic describes the medium, right? Okay. It describes the experience. If you're saying like, when I say something cinematic, it's it's almost like you're comparing it to a better product, mm-hmm. and I think that's unfor- that's that's the wrong way to look at it. Well, for Right. better product what do you mean when you say when, when you compare something and say oh that thing succeeded in being cinematic that mm-hmm. g- the game had great cinematics or it succeeded in having a cinematic level experience to me it almost says well cinema was there first and it's the better medium but you've you're coming yeah. close to that right okay so that's different for me when i use the term cinematic in re- reference to red dead in particular mm-hmm. um i'm using it in terms of the fact that the game's so feverishly drawn from cinematic sure inspiration and influence i'm not really comparing it to something and being like it's as good as film i have done that for other games Mm -hmm. Uh, and i i think that that logical falsehood is or fallacy has played out in my mind before i think you're absolutely right in this game when i use that term i'm not referring to cutscenes. i'm not referring to the scripted Mm -hmm. stuff and i'm not referring to the idea that it approaches film i think that red dead more than just about any video game i've ever played is film inspired and attempts to be evocative of that feeling of being inside a movie mm. it's not trying to be a better movie it mm. is trying to be something that is very much a part of two different worlds uh i just i don't like i just don't like when people and i love film granted and i and i and to each his own as far as w- whether or not you want to engage in games i just it's fun to compare and contrast the two mediums but i think a lot of times at least in the mainstream people who don't play games you see the argument play out of like well when is it going to be made into a movie to legitimize it? Yeah. Sort of, you know, and I hate that. I hate that. Argument. I hate that too. I think it's just stupid. No, they're different mediums. They're different pillars of art. If, mm-hmm. if art is a temple, they are two of the pillars holding it up, holding For the sure. roof up. Absolutely. Sure. And they influence one another. But no, I, I think we are well past the idea that somehow film legitimizes games uh, or that a, a film having a game somehow legitimizes the film. I've played so many crappy games based on good movies. Mm-hmm. And I played a few good games based on crappy movies. Yep. Uh, and I played, and we can reverse that cycle the other way around. They are what they are. I, I think that Rockstar has done a lot to help translate our mode of thought on that. I think the GTA five in particular, we were talking earlier when we recorded games daily today, 95 million copies sold. Uh, one? Of GTA five, wow, 95 million copies. God, that's, that's huge for the, huge. but we always compare it to the video game industry, to the video. But what that's also doing is helping us understand that this art form stands alongside other art forms as a legitimate commercial venture, sure, but also an artistic outlet that is speaking to vast numbers of people. Mm. I think that's important. What do you I, think? I don't know. I, I do think it's important. I have given up on order because we're jumping all over. We are. I'm sorry. So don't Did worry. You want to talk I'm about no, no. Uh, how you can play along. No, we'll get there. Or we're gonna, orphan. We're, no, we're going to jump straight on back into high noon. Okay. Um, we'll we'll deal with on the trail later. Got it. Because we are already talking about westerns. I, I brought you on here to talk about cinematic influence. Mm-hmm. 
because that's kind of your wheelhouse. You sure. you like westerns? I do like westerns. I do like westerns, and I think uh, I think there's a certain romance and nostalgia to westerns uh, that that you that that draws you into that, right? I think that there's and there's so many different types. Like we talked about uh, before the show, like some of the classic westerns. Um, you got a lot of the John Wayne westerns. You've got a lot of the the old school like uh, classic era Hollywood westerns when bad guys were bad guys and good guys were good guys and good white guys wore white. Um, Literally the, down to like white hats. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you white know, outfits. And, yeah, I, for, I forget. Uh, I want to say it's Magnificent Seven. I want to say where Yule Yule Brenner has like the white. He's like the man in white or the white hat. Maybe I'm getting confused on these. It might have been three ten years. No, I think Brenner wears a black hat in in um, in Magnificent Seven. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that too. But either way, I I think that. I love the idea of the Western and then I like the idea of the Western deconstructed when you get to something like an unforgiven, right? Where you have those old roles. It's, it, it's, I love any movie that asks a very fascinating question right off the bat where in, in an unforgiven, you have the question of, you know, that really just badder than bad gunslinger that killed everyone, but was just like, you know, fated to die. What yeah. happens if he lives to an old age? Yeah. What you know, happens if he somehow survives? What happens if he survives that meets a woman who kind of tames him down and shows him a better side of life? And then what happens when that woman dies and he's called back one more time into the darkness? Uh, I love that. That sure sounds like Red Dead Redemption. Are you familiar with the plot of the first Red Dead? Uh, I no, not at all. So when I talk about cinematic influence and again, these these tropes are tropes for a reason because they're good story devices um, for, for that kind of romantic, nostalgic sure. and deconstructive storytelling. And Red Dead does contain all three. That's pretty much John Marston's story you just described. Uh, he is Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's kind of what you get. He's a little less grizzled, a little friendlier. He got out sooner. He got out um, a little sooner. <laughs> and he got out sooner and his wife isn't dead. Okay. Um, so he's, he's still in that stage where he's trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I want to go to the three things you just uh, talked about. Okay, go. You use first the terms romance. Second, mm-hmm. the term nostalgia. Talk about those two things in classic Westerns. And then third, discuss how what's being deconstructed like talk about the two and then talk about the deconstructive element that takes place okay you're gonna have to remind me of that when i get to the third one no problem uh the romance aspect of it obviously is just that fantasy fulfillment of being able to go to a time at a bygone era right you have uh, none of us can ever go back and experience what that or that that must be really like so seeing obviously that's what cinema's for especially period pieces like that um seeing what this sort of idyllic version of what the West might have looked like, very clearly defined mm-hmm. with some of the more classic Western movies is always fun. And then going back and watching something a little bit more kind of what it really probably would have been like with an Unforgiven where it's like where it's hard and it wasn't lovely and it wasn't, it wasn't beautiful. And for the most part, it was just a terrible life mm-hmm. uh, full of just your family. You know, you didn't see too many people. And we have that character, uh, we see him where he's literally getting... Right, the first couple of scenes, he's falling down in pig shit. Yeah, um, and he's got to take care of these two kids, and the pigs are dying, and the farm's dying, and he needs money, and there's no way really to survive. And then he has to go. And then even the way they treat the killing in Unforgiven versus how it's treated in other movies, where it's glorified in some of the earlier movies, in Unforgiven, it's just this really sad, harsh reality of you know the the, the scene that sticks out in my mind is when they go to track down some of the killers and they shoot one of them, and he's just there dying. Yeah, and he's like, I'm thirsty. And and uh, Clint Eastwood goes, give him some goddamn water, you know, like just yeah. give him the water. He's fucking dying anyway. Yeah, he just like, shot this man. We just, yeah, I know he's dead. I probably shot him to the liver. The guy's bleeding out right there. Like, give him some water. And then the other guy's like, well, you're gonna shoot me if I go get him. He's like, no, I'm not gonna shoot. He's like, you're gonna shoot me. And they have this dialogue where he's like, yeah. this very real dialogue of like, I'm not gonna shoot you. I'm yeah. not here to shoot you. 
Just give him some water. I'm shooting this man for yeah. the money. We've killed him for the money already. He's already dead, but he's yeah. still alive. Give him some water. And so, and then just the moral repercussions of all that. Yeah. And I think that's another one of the issues that you never really see in a lot of, in a lot, most movies in general, that the moral ramifications of killing someone. And we see that through the character of, um, I forget the, the younger kid's character's name, uh, but we see the reality through his eyes. The first, he, quote unquote comes in and says I'm going to kill a bunch I've killed a bunch of people I killed him killed him uh, of course we know he's full of shit because he can't even see yeah uh, and then when he finally d- is takes part in this horrible act it changes him yeah he throws and the he door open goes, and shoots I don't want to do this anymore he kills yeah. a guy and goes I don't want to be in this life I don't want to be you you know yeah. this glorified character that I had before this this uh, William um, money character I think was his name mm-hmm. um I've always wanted to be you until I got a little taste of that. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, that reality is terrible. I want to run as far away from this as possible. And you see th- you see Clint Eastwood's character for what he maybe was back in the day and now what he's become. It's a beautiful, beautiful comparison. Yeah, Unforgiven is is probably the ultimate Western deconstruction. I, I think it's the certainly the first one anyone interested in the genre should watch. But I almost feel like you should watch several old Westerns before. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to watch. Just watch anything that Clint Eastwood did. Leading up to that, because he is the person who, aside from maybe uh, like a John Wayne, has defined that media, like mm-hmm. that genre, probably more than anyone, really. And he's done it at every stage, right? He's yeah. done it from the, hey, this is, I'm just a gunslinger with a movie like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Uh, you've got, hey, I've, I'm, I'm the immortal gunslinger with uh, High Plains Drifter. I love High Plains Drifter. It's a great movie. Yeah. Great movie. But for, uh, people that who also, don't, for people who don't know, describe the plot of this movie. It is just about a guy. Who rides into a guy with no, a man with no name? Yeah. Who rides into a town that's being uh, uh, accosted by marauders? Yeah. By these outlaws, and he's just the baddest guy with a gun, and they hire him to protect the town, and he totally screws with them the yeah. entire time because he's got an alter. You don't know who he is until yeah. the very end. Even that, in and of itself, is where you start to see an evolution of like we're playing with this a little yeah bit. that's a horror movie yeah uh, as yeah, much as it anything that's a horror yeah, movie it's great it's, it's a great movie and I, he I is the grim reaper and it's fucking phenomenal it's, um, it's you got the outlaw josie whale and, and a bunch of other movies that he's done mm-hmm. um where where you see him in different in different sub genres of of westerns and then you see him blow all this up uh in unforgiven he takes those roles he played and he presents a vastly different take on that and i said it was the ultimate uh i said that movie unforgiven was the the ultimate deconstruction i may actually may it's the ultimate modern deconstruction um my favorite western is uh is the man who shot liberty valance which is john wayne and jimmy stewart that is the progenitor of unforgiven interesting it is john ford the great western director mm-hmm. john wayne the iconic john wayne the man with the walk uh, yeah um taking everything that they've built a lifetime creating in film and blowing it up in your face. Interesting. And saying, here's what happens if you live your life this way. Interesting. Yeah. It's a deconstructive Western. It's beautiful, beautiful movie. And so that's what, those are the elements that I loved about Unforgiven too, right? You have the Gene Hackman character who's supposed to be the good guy and kind of is. Little but Bill. also kind of isn't. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, I mean, he's he's kind of, he's like, he's building a house. He's de- And he beats a man to death with a whip. Yeah. I mean. But he beats the man to death with a whip because that's how he thinks you're supposed to keep law and order. Yeah. Right. Is by proving to everyone else, all the other bad people out there that you're the baddest. Right. And I, which in itself is just twisted. It's fucked up, but it's, it's what I liked about that movie is that every character has dimensions. Mm-hmm. There is a very, it's just gray area. Yeah. There's great. no good. There's no bad. There's no man in white and man in black. And you don't know offhand if you, if you put all of them on screen together, who's bad and who's good. Yeah. Until the very, very end. Do you know who's case, ugly? 
Uh, I do not know exactly. I, Unforgiven's pretty spectacular. I, I want to ask you about another dimension of this. Sure. Um, Unforgiven, obviously a huge influence on Red Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an outlaw story. It's a post-outlaw story. The Red Dead 2, being a prequel, is going to feed more into, I think, that good, the bad, and the ugly, fistful of dollars mm-hmm. kind of world. Although I think it's going to have some wild bunch elements about the end of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, definitely some butch casting in the Sunday It's Kid, the era of the outlaws ending. Yeah. By the time, you know, Red, Red Dead 1 happens in like 1911. Interesting. Yeah, it's like the era is over. This one takes place in 1899 when the doors are slamming shut. Interesting. It's kind of like about the last great gang. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I, I like cool. that a lot. So it's going to bridge that realm between the kind of glory days of the outlaw and the end. Well, um, there's something spectacular about a story that's faded, you know? Yeah. Well, you kind of know how it's going to end for them. Well, that's what. To a degree. I think one of the reasons that the Star Wars original trilogy works so well is that it's about a faded world mm-hmm. like there's this idea that there was obvious everybody's all ragged people have commented on this that it's a lived in galaxy mm-hmm. but part of what makes that great and it's a western totally by the way star wars empire strikes back absolutely westerns mm-hmm. um that there's this memory of greater days mm-hmm. you know there's one jedi left and yeah. there's this this faded sheen to the whole world and people just barely remember it used to be different but there's it's an apocalyptic story lord of the rings is an apocalyptic story that way yeah uh, it's it's all about it starts in a very bad place (laughs) it's the shadow of a greater past Mm -hmm. and all these people just living in like crapsville after that i love that but i and, and i love that because it leaves so much more to the imagination than we were given in the prequels unfortunately yeah it's, it's when you start fleshing out that you you find that it's a very thin veil yeah you know? they, they didn't add there was yeah but i think mm. this will be a prequel that understands that about itself everything i've seen yeah. in, in red dead 2 uh gives me hope that they they grasp what what this means we have gone off course and i'm great with it i think i, I think our our uh guests are going to be happy with it too uh because this has been a a fun discussion one thing I'm, i brought up star wars for a second sure that's um that's a kind of a derivative pseudo Western. Mm-hmm. You're a film guy. Uh, what are some things that influenced Westerns you love or things Westerns you love have influenced? Star Wars came out of Westerns. Interesting. Largely. What are some things that have fed into Westerns you enjoy? I don't know. Oh, interesting. I mean, we're traditionally with Westerns just on the hero's journey, which is, I guess that's a broad answer and kind of a cop out because that's every single story that's ever been told. Um, influences of westerns that go into movies. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't I know mean, that I have an answer for that. Yeah, the most overt ones I can think of. You brought up Magnificent Seven earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Kurosawa. That's Seven Samurai. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, or Yojimbo, which eventually becomes a Fistful of Dollars. Which one was the one that went into Star Wars? Wasn't, uh, didn't he steal? Not steal. Borrow. Well, he borrows a, from a ton a from Kurosawa. Yeah. yeah, Seven Samurai also. So that's kind of twice removed. Right, uh, right, right, right. I mean, Han Solo is a gunslinger. You know, mm-hmm. Mos Eisley is an old Western town. I mean, they're in a desert. It's it's so so. The cantina is, mm-hmm. is absolutely everything. There is is a metaphor for an old Western. Well, I mean, but even Seven see, Samurai feeds straight in too. And they're obviously leaning into that very heavily. We haven't seen Solo yet. I should I should uh, preface this, but even some of the cinematography in Solo, where it's that iconic. We're, we just are, we're dollying to the right as he unbuckles the belt yeah. to, or, the, or the little buckle to his gun yep. at, his, at his waistline. Um, I do. Yeah, I do love that. And, you know, even anything down to even Han Solo's costume design where oh, he's yeah. very clearly a gunslinger. He's a gunslinger. Yeah, it's straight up. There's a freaking train robbery in Solo. I mean, they We've have seen gun, it in the preview. They you have know? A, I mean, they have a gun, you know, in the original in New Hope. They have the the the, the famous redone Greedo. Han Solo scene where it is literally just a, a standoff. They just yeah. happen to be sitting down. 
And, and exactly. And I yeah. and I love that. That's very much a, a well. I mean, it reminded me of Tuco in the bathtub. Uh, in yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. where the guy comes in, Tuco's in the sud covered bathtub mm-hmm. alone, and a guy's got the drop on him. Mm-hmm. Dude walks in pointing a gun at him, and he's just like, I've been looking for you for years. I've been, and just flames erupt from the bubbles yeah. in the bath, and, just, <laughs> and the guy falls over dead. And Tuco's like, If we're going to shoot, don't talk, shoot, yeah, just shoot, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very it. Han Solo. Uh, but I mean, I also love that where I also love some of the. God, I even love like some of the bad westerns. Yeah, what's you a bad know? western you like? Uh, the Quick and the Dead. Did you ever see that? Oh, that is a bad western. The, those are just like they're so fun to watch. Is that the Sharon they, Stone and Leonardo Sharon DiCaprio? Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, I believe Russell Crowe's in it as well. And oh, if I'm he? not mistaken, the bad guy again reprising the bad guy role is Gene Hackman. Um, I love Gene Hackman. I love Gene Hackman, and I love him as a good and a bad guy. Uh, but I love, I love when when they go south. Where it's like you can tell they're taking all of those tropes of westerns and plugging them in, but man, when we get to the end of this, it just did not work. It's like a it's like a Christmas uh, a string of Christmas lights that you just forgot one or two bulbs <laughs> that just don't work. You're like, man, we just screwed this up royally. What? But then you have like remakes like Three Ten to Yuma, which I actually thought was really good. Yeah, me too. Um, and I was like, I was like, a lot of people gave that movie a lot of grief, which is weird. Get that. I don't get it either. I'm like, this is actually a really cool story that's yeah. being told, and at the end. The sort of way it ends, you're like, this is actually very fulfilling. I thought, I, I, I thought so too. I enjoyed it a lot. It was well acted, well paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an exciting movie, but it's got an interesting drama. The twists and turns are not predictable, but also don't feel corny. They feel, they feel earned. earned for sure. Yeah, it, for it's sure. a it's a quite a film. You, talk, I, I'm glad you brought up bad westerns because we we talk very worshipfully about western film on this show. <laughs> the fact is, there are far more bad westerns. Than oh there are my good god, ones. you! I forget where it was, but you something somewhere on this document brought up a uh, wild, wild oh wild wild guest. That's what it was. Yeah, wild wild west. Is a uh, granted it's a comedy, uh, but arguably just not not a very good. Will movie. Smith and Kevin Klein, two spectacular actors, great actors. I believe Selma Hayek's have, in that. Uh, Ken- She's Kenneth wonderful. Brana is the bad guy. That's right. So that's four mm-hmm. great actors. Great actors. And Western based on an old TV great show. Theme song, which friend of a uh, kind of funny Cisco contributed to as there part of Drew go. Hill. It's very true. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch the original Wild Wild West TV show? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, see, I liked that a lot back when I was a kid. Don't remember any of it, but uh, Robert Conrad, I think was the main character in that um but yeah you have movies like that where you're like wow this is not even a good popcorn movie this is just we're this just, just watching this good, yeah. we're just watching this oh yeah. giant spider great uh was it yeah oh giant robotic spider yeah that's a, that was a very konami moment giant robotic well kevin smith crap. tells that story about that did you ever hear that yeah, he, yeah it's lovely it's so you can fun. tell it if you want oh, i mean i don't want to i don't want to steal from from uh from kevin but he tells a story of how he was writing the uh, as I go on to steal from him. He tells a story about how he was writing a, a Superman movie, and the producer of it wanted a giant spider in it. Yeah. And uh, that producer ended up going on to produce Wild Wild West. And he said, "I was sitting there watching this movie, and all of a sudden, hey, you got his giant spider." And that's what happened. This like the Key and Peele skit about making uh, Gremlins two. What was that? I oh, never you never that. watched this? No, is it Nick great? Scarpino? This is the most Nick Scarpino clip ever. I want to tell you this though: if this movie in any way, shape, or form uh, denigrates Gremlins two. Or this clip, rather. Oh no! It denigrates it. Then I will never. This is a celebration because Gremlins two. I saw by myself in a theater and thought to myself, that was the first time I remember thinking, "Wow, what a complete departure from the original movie." This this skit is the pitch meeting for Gremlins two. Okay, love it. Yeah, I'll watch. It's the pitch meeting. We'll watch. It's like three minutes long. We'll watch Mm -hmm. it right after we record this. It's so good. So we talked a lot about film. Uh, on the show and less about uh, news around this. I hope you all will be okay with the fact that we went more tangentially than normal. But I, I think what's important, 
before we leave film completely, for you were talking a lot about older westerns. Sure. Um, what are some recommendations you have for people that might be more familiar with newer western films, but old western movies that are good intros to the high quality ones that are good intros to the genre for people that want to go back and explore movies that are not just classic because they're historically important, mm-hmm. but are actually really watchable. That is. See, that's great because I don't go. I don't go too far back with westerns. That's the only problem. Okay. So when you start getting be, like below the seventies, uh-huh. late sixties, early seventies with westerns, you really start getting to that. I think an inaccessible area for mm-hmm. a lot of modern film viewers. So I would start with the, like anything that Clint Eastwood did in the beginning. I would follow all the Clint Eastwoods. Um, I would. Probably do a Silverado in there somewhere. Um, Silverado. It's good. See, the John Wayne movies, I think, are just going to be too hard for a lot of people. They're not going to be accessible enough. Yeah, I I think The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is the exception. That is still Mm -hmm. like a startlingly compelling movie, uh, even today. Mm -hmm. And the original True Grit is pretty good. Uh, The original True Grit, the remake was pretty good as well. Um, I would also. I would throw Once Upon a Time in the West in there just to see how far you can make it in there before Ooh. you fall asleep. Yeah, that's, that, uh, that sure is a boring movie. It's a really, really, really slow, really methodical movie that if you can make it through the first 20 minutes of that, you get a gold star from me. It's great. It's beautiful. Beautifully shot and an, ex- and an exquisite uh, example of sound. We studied that in film school for sound design. That is a film school movie. It is such a film school movie. But like, man, man, I, I slept can't through watch every it. movie in film school. <laughs> That's one of those. But yeah, I mean, Charles Bronson did a lot of great movies back in the day too. So Yeah. Yeah. We're going to switch tracks for a second here because guess what? I've been playing through uh, the original Red Dead Redemption. Is that, and are you on the trail? Yeah, we are on the there trail now for a moment. What and have you been so, doing in there? What am I doing? I've been doing a few things. So some friends are playing along times. and I've been playing all the way up through uh, through the mission where you help Bonnie out with the cattle herd and, and bring all those back in. How's we, Bonnie doing these days? You know, Bonnie's all right, but actually next week's mission, okay. the, the stopping point if you're playing along is called Hanging Bonnie McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure things may not end well for Bonnie well, here. Poor Bonnie. Uh, yeah, that sucks for her. Bonnie's interesting. She's a good character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't played the game, so you're not familiar with no, Bonnie. No, but I, now I know spoilers. Bonnie is an assertive single woman who runs a ranch. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, probably a middle-aged woman uh, who I like a whole lot, except she's constantly going, Mr. Marston. That's about the only thing I don't like about mm-hmm. Bonnie. Everything else about her is pretty great. Kind of school marmish. Going back to this for me uh, has been a few things. I had forgotten a lot of stuff around uh, about Jack I, I, or John. Pardon me. I'd forgotten John's uh, dad was born on a cattle boat. He's an immigrant. Uh, that John's effectively a, a first generation American from where um, his dad was an immigrant from Scotland. Oh, okay. And he points out the fact. I love how the game does exposition because it's not like and now I will expose. You do missions, and between the missions, you have brief, not too heady conversations, not too heavy conversations with Bonnie, with her dad, with family, and little bits of his backstory leak out as he gets to know her better and better. And it's not like, well, this is important to the plot now, so I have to reveal my heart. Mm-hmm. It's just that you've been spending a lot of time with Bonnie. Was that your uh, narrator from Dukes of Hazard? Kind of was. That was really Them good. Duke boys. Them Duke uh, boys got into it again. Instead, I, I forgot there was a time, and this has been one of the coolest things about playing through this, that I didn't know everything about John. Mm-hmm. When you meet John, you know nothing about him. Mm-hmm. You don't know who you're playing. You don't know why you're there. I mean, some guys throw you on a train and they're like, okay, go off and do something you obviously don't want to. Mm-hmm. And five minutes later, some dude shot you and you don't know why. It's great. And now that most of it, so the fact that you haven't played through this, I, I almost like 
love the idea of you going back and playing this just so you can experience who this guy becomes. Mm -hmm. It's really thoughtful, smart storytelling. And I'd forgotten that that was such a compelling part of the narrative. I mean, I think I think about Red Dead today mostly as a game that I experienced through lonely moments or moments of my own making. And there's plenty of organic stuff that happens. But John's introduction as a character is really smartly done, uh, especially when you go back eight years and look at the state of video game narrative at that time, where it was usually just like, "Lo and then." Right. You're a film guy, sure. And again, what do you, what's an example for you of good character? background reveal in storytelling mm, uh, in films someplace geez. where you find out about somebody where you look into their past and learn more about who they are told through a more organic process huh jesus you're throwing the hard ones I'm out put, today. i should have warned you about this one that's probably. okay but yeah i mean this is because that's what they do here and that's been one of the most striking things about it i think yeah i don't know i have to think about that one that's a hard one now you That's think about it. One. I'm going to talk a little that. more while you're thinking. A few other things that happened to me. Completely f- forgot that I had to learn to hogtie people. So in the original game, I didn't want to hang out on the ranch. Mm-hmm. So I wandered for like 20 hours before I ever went back, which meant I couldn't hogtie anybody because I never went on the cattle missions. Okay. <laughs> that was the first time I played like years and years and years ago. Totally repeated the same mistake. This I was like, why can't I hogtie people? Why do I keep having to shoot all my bounties? Why can't I capture any? went back because I had to do the playthrough and the walkthrough to keep up with folks here. I was like, Oh, I never learned to lasso. Mm. I'm an idiot. It's because it happens for the best of us. The game makes it so overt. I was just so, so energized to get out in that world and explore and find my own fun that I didn't do what I needed to do to have that intrinsic and critical ability. Mm. And I repeated that twice. So that was an interesting discovery. <laughs> I'd forgotten another clever storytelling device they use. I I now have decided that I want to work at a video game company and I want to write dialogue for poker side quests. Okay. When you play poker in that game, it's a great Texas Hold'em engine. I love poker. I really enjoy playing poker. People just sit around and have conversations and they have these pre-canned lines. But each person has a kind of a distinct personality and then you'll overhear things from the other room too, coming through from the bar room. And so you have these conversations and side quests or missions just come up in the talk. Interesting. They don't, you, you haven't found this quest. They'll just be like, there's been a lion down by the, and they'll start talking about it or things you've done will come up in the conversation and it changes dynamically as the game is going on. I love that. I think it's really clever That's storytelling. Cool. I've forgotten about how that. long can you sit and play poker for? Can you just do that indefinitely? You can play poker. You you can play poker as long as you've got money to throw in the kitty. That's awesome. It's tournament style. So you buy a pile of chips, walk in, and then you play until you've won the tournament or or, or you've uh, cashed out. Interesting. Like, And then you can just hop back and do it again. Well, there you if go. you clean everybody at the table out, you have to go to another bar for a while, and then when you come back, they'll be back. But you can play poker for hours. That's I what I... That. That's I, fun. I, God knows how many hours I've played Red Dead Poker <laughs> over over the years. Um. I'd forgotten how, mo- how much, how the pacing works. It really is a moseying game mm-hmm. that just, you can just take your time and it feels right. It's not dull. 
It's like kind of making your way along. You'd be talking to people on your horse on a mission or when you're off alone, you mosey and something will happen. Yeah. You're not going to get too bored, but you're not great. It's not, it's very rare. I mean, the other night I was riding along and some dude just literally rode out of the dark and attacked me and I like screamed and started shooting. Sure. But that's rare. That doesn't happen much except for a cougar jumping on yeah, your head. Yeah, you should play Far Cry. Uh, play yeah. Far Cry 5. Well, I think it's every five seconds you get assaulted by something in that game. The pacing is much better in Red Dead than in Far Cry. It's not nearly as irritating in that regard. It's yeah. not irritating in that regard. It's kind of, and I shot a guy the other day and I, I just, again, the the weird, the way things interplay, his foot like got caught under the horse and he ends up getting dragged under a horse for like 30 yards through mm-hmm. the mud. And I grimaced watching, I was like, this dude, he just <laughs> shot me. I was like, oh, I feel kind of bad for him. So that's been some of my experience playing through right now. Initial impressions. We are very early on in the game. Uh, we're going to have more of a talk about this on our next episode. Uh, we'll talk much more in depth about where you've been. But if you want to keep playing along, I'd love to hear your stories too. So write to mail at reddeadradio.com and let us know where you are. Next week's mission, playing all the way through Hanging Bonnie McFarlane. And also I want to hear your side quest stories. Nick. Yes. Do you have an answer to that question? No, I don't. I, I'm sorry. I spent the entire time you were talking, just listening to you. Oh, okay. I was rambling, hoping that you were you were. Oh. Deeply, I, that's why I talk so long. Oh, I apologize. No, you know what? Don't apologize. No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the kind of high quality content we know that you demand. Our next section: luck of the draw. Four suits, one card. Nick Scarpino, mm-hmm. you, you can draw the top card of that deck. We're going to get four random non-Red Dead related questions. The suit is spades. The question is from Randy. If you were sucked into a board game, mm-hmm. like in Jumanji, mm-hmm. which board game would you, Nick Scarpino, least like, least like to be sucked into? Least like to be sucked into. Yes. Yeah, so what's a board game you just can't stand the thought of being sucked into? Uh, Monopoly. Monopoly. That was a yeah. quick answer. And here's why. Because I feel like we live in the worst, world's most expensive city and I can't afford anything. And if that were my life all the time, I would hate myself. But isn't that your life all the time? It is. But I don't want more of that. But I mean, that's a little. How can you have more of what's your whole life? Uh, because if I got sucked into a game that forced me to only do that all the time and constantly be dealing with people buying properties and charging me more rent every time I land anywhere, I would have a conniption fit. Okay. I I, I like this answer very, very much. What about you? I think the secret is you're miserable. Uh, I think that's, I'm miserable only from a monetary, uh, rent standpoint and not being able to own anything in this, in this city. It's terrible. Yeah. I think for me, it would probably be being, uh, sorry. Uh, the classic board game, Sorry, where you're going around the board like Parcheesi style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'd be infuriated by that because people would always be stepping on my head just as I was about to finally reach that place I wanted mm-hmm. to go and yanking me all the way back to the beginning, which is, again, kind of the rubber band that life sometimes feels like. So anything that really uh, board games at their best are escapism. Yeah. Games at their best, I think, or yeah. either escapism or education. But that's an education I don't need. I've already learned that fact. Yeah. I don't need to be reminded that just when you're at the edge of your dreams, you're sometimes yanked You're just sucked right back in. And that's what Sorry and Parcheesi are all about. They're all Parcheesi. about disappointment. I haven't played Parcheesi They're about years. the cruelness of ra- cruel randomness mm-hmm. and chance utterly destroying you. What game would you most like want to actually get sucked into? Oh, man. I mean, wow. I mean, Fireball Island's awfully tempting. Uh, being attacked by a giant volcano that's that's shooting like like lava and crap at you like that sounds really but I think if uh, if I'm actually being serious about it um, I think I've got enough like D and D love in me that I totally want to be like the the party wizard. My favorite board uh, game of all time is okay. Hero Quest. Interesting, which is a super simplified tabletop D and D game from back in the day, mm-hmm. and the opportunity to be like. I am Ragnar the Brave. Like, 
as awful as that sounds, no, there's sounds no world. Great. Yeah, I I envy people who still play D and have D&D. a lot of friends, a lot of friends who you would not think play Dungeons and Dragons, but get together on a we- have a weekly game going, and I I love that and I envy that about them so much, largely because they I mean, and I'm not talking like they do it ironically. They literally yeah. go and play the characters and get pissed off if people come and don't and aren't aren't taking it 100 percent seriously. D and D's fun. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah, it is fun. fun. Are you a D and D guy? No. Okay. No, uh, I don't Do you, take myself you, that seriously. Have you ever played any of the game, role-playing games that are designed around not taking it seriously? Uh, no. Well, no. Uh, the last time I played Dungeons & Dragons was when Critical Role came over, and we played with them, and I got made fun of the entire time for being short. Uh, and then prior to that, the last time I played an RPG was probably the Robotech RPG from... Uh, Palladium Books? Yeah, from Palladium Books back in like seventh grade, I think. That's, that's right. Shout out to Kevin Sembeda right yeah, there. Yeah, dude. There we are. Dude knows how to draw. Oh, he does draw some really cool stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, draws and writes. Really? Is, is, oh, was he a writer too? Oh, I just he, remember. He, I just always remember seeing the images, like his last name. Yeah, he draws a lot of his own stuff, but he also writes probably the, I mean, the the lion's share of Palladium stuff. Interesting. Eric Wojcik did a lot of stuff, and they use a lot of freelancers, and they have friends of, of the company that do stuff, but he writes a good portion. Like, he wrote riffs. The oh, original really? Riffs. Yeah, that I was a good, that, that was some better book. Yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. I met him. He's a really, guy. really interesting dude. Yeah. What about you? What game you want pulled into? Uh, I'd love to be pulled into Trivial Pursuit just so I can have, have just a vast knowledge of useless information. That's you what just, I want. You just in, instilled with just, that? Just, I, I always envy people that are like, well, actually, it's like this. How are you on the green wedges? The Which one's the green? That's the sports and leisure. Oh, terrible. The green wedge is like like the end of Trivial Pursuit for me. That's what I'm done for. We did. We played. Last time we played Trivial Pursuit was uh, against Jeff and the Achievement Hunter guys, and, and they ate our lunch when it yeah. came to sports they just destroyed us that's a, seems about right yeah pretty much every other pie wedge as well just everything in the world success just, as, a, as a company they they like jeff turned into uh some sort of like uh, a beautiful mind level genius where he just kind of like stopped paying attention to everything else really focused on the piece and just started answering questions left and right oh, that's incredible. it was insulting Heading out of Pony Express, this is mail, which you can send to mail at reddeadradio.com. That's mail at reddeadradio.com. This message from Dominic. How real is too real in games? Rockstar seems to be leaning more into uber-realistic systems with Red Dead Redemption 2. You need to retrieve your hat if it's shot off. Meat will rot if left too long. And your horse will need long-term bonding if you want to control it well. Nick, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, oh, you don't like that? No, it's too much of a distraction. There's a thin line for me between a fun mechanic and a distraction. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, you got to bond with a horse. I think Zelda had that too, right? Where it wasn't like Breath of the Wild where you had to, like, jump on the back and, like, or what, what was it? Was your whatever the animal was. Yeah, you had to like break a horse in. I was like, that's cool the first time. Mm-hmm. But every time, are you kidding me? And then, although I will be honest, though, when it came to cooking, I was like, I'm dreading this. And then I started cooking in Breath of the Wild, and I was like, I love this mechanic. Yeah. So, But I just feel like it does beg the question of like, how how far do you go before you are have, li- doing a life simulator when you just you should just put the controller down and go out and live your life? Like I have meat, <laughs> I have meat that's in my fridge right now that's probably rotting that I have to deal with that on a daily basis. So why do I want that in my escapism? Don't ever play NetHack. Um, what is NetHack? NetHack is a video game that takes that kind of realism to a degree that is 
almost unfathomable. That and Dwarf Fortress is that way too. Oh my god, forget um, it. Like I mean, again, granted, again, from to each his or her own, right? Uh-huh. If that, if you love that level of depth in a game, and I use that term depth loosely because I don't think I think it's mostly just distraction. Um, good for you, but I feel like there's a there there they need to there needs to be a balance struck. Well, my guess is that they will. I, I Rockstar knows how to make a game. They know what's fun. Um, GTA, but I mean, if I have to keep going and get my hat, or else I get a sunburn, and then I, my health goes down, no, that's going to annoy. My the guess shit is me. your hat's not going to get shot off much. I mean, that that's that's the thing. I think that these are all neat details that are there to make the world feel more real. Sure, but they also understand how. For example, there used to be a lot of criticism in GTA games of the driving, and so the driving improved right. in every game. Mm-hmm. In GTA Five, shooting, <laughs> you exactly, and the shooting. In the GTA Five, your driving and shooting skills are affected by how much you practice them. But at the beginning of the game, you can drive fine and you can shoot fine. Mm-hmm. Just at the end of the game, if you practice them a whole bunch, they become even easier. There's sure. a smoothness. If you go back and restart, you're like, oh, man, I, I don't corner as well. But you don't notice it when you're starting. I suspect it'll be like that, Nick, that these will be interesting systems where you're not going to feel incompetent and become competent. Mm-hmm. You're going to start competent and become more competent. And That's, that's fair. Fun. That's, that's fair. It's just, I mean, I think there are two types of gamers, right? I think there are people... Uh, more casual like me who just want that 10 to 20 hour experience and I kind of want the the narrative kind of streamlined for me and there are people that just want to spend a ton of time in that world and see every single aspect of it and I don't begrudge people that I think yeah. it's a lovely way to spend time if that's what you're into but for me uh, I draw the line when my uh, my meat starts going sour <laughs> by the way how are we doing on time speaking of time oh, I'm fine 12 minutes. Oh, we have 12 minutes. Oh, we have another thing. Then we're probably going to, we're going to push the rest of the mail this week to next week because we got another thing going on. So our final thing, the Red Dead Radio Poker Tournament, Mm -hmm. which we always love to do here. Our current champion, Greg Miller, Mm -hmm. pair of nines. This is completely random. So. Uh, it's random, but it's also, there's a lot at stake here. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know if you know this or not about me. I'm the champion. I've heard you're the champion. So I have to beat Greg. Well, five card draw. Tell me how many cards you want. Do I get the look? Take a look. Let's see here. Okay. This is completely random. No betting strategy. Oh, just geez, a random. Louise. Yeah, this is I the hate only poker. Have. You right. got to be kidding me. Hold on. All right. Oh, man. Do I go for it? Do I go for it's it? It's just got to be the pair of nines. <sighs> just a pair of nine. All right, Nick. It's not like we got to record another show after this. No, no, no. I mean, this is this is a big deal. Should I show the audience my hand? You show the audience if you want. Yeah. So you this show. is what I'm dealing with right now. I need a jack for a nice straight. Can we get this up here? All right. So I've got oh, you're gonna try an to draw ace, for- king, Ooh. queen, and a ten. If I if I give him the six back and get that jack, it's a small percentage, but I could be unbeatable from here on out. You're effectively trying to draw an inside straight right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, well, because in- the other the only other option is. What I mean, I'd have to just ditch. I mean, in my opinion, you never draw for an inside straight and draw mm-hmm. poker in five mm-hmm. card draw. You what would never you do? go for an inside straight. What would you straight? do if you're a big daddy? I I play safe. I'd go for the ace. You go for the ace. But you so just throw them all you out may be, but you may be a gambling man. I'm not a gambling man. You're not. If this is a jack. You're gonna die. Oh my god. No. Son of a bitch. No. No. Son of. Could a add a pair bitch. of queens and beating Greg Miller. Well. Let's not tell him this happened. Well, there we are. Greg Miller remains 
the Red Dead Radio Poker Champion. Nick Scarpino, thank you so much for coming here. Friends, if you want to write you. to us, mail at reddeadradio.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, because we are user-sponsored, uh, if you want to come and be a part of that, you can go to reddeadradio.com or patreon.com slash Jared Petty. We'd really appreciate it. There's some wonderful Patreon exclusives and rewards there. You can also support Hot Blip and a Jump, our diary slash documentary slash essay series, uh, which is a pretty groovy thing. I think you'll enjoy that as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're listening on Android or iTunes, don't turn this off yet because please, 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 please go and give us a rating. Please, please, please give us a review. It helps so much and subscribe. Nick, thank you for being here. Where can folks find you? Uh, they can find me at youtube.com slash kind of funny or youtube.com slash kind of funny games. Or if you want just small witticisms, you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Scarpino. Important to note, Greg, if you're watching this, he had three more cards to draw on that one. I just want you guys to know. He drew one card, but I had three more chances to get that ace. That's not how so, that works. So, Greg, uh, you are a cheater. You are a cheater. No, no. That's not how that works. In now. real poker, that's how that works. Cisco Man, thank you so much.